This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is August the 18th. My name is John Dunn, and this is the 124th episode of the Best Friends Podcast. Now, I told you last week that due to the overwhelming success of the July National Adoption Weekend event, that we were going to be doing another, and I can now announce the dates. The weekend is going to be September 16th through the 18th. Now, the way these work is that all participating network partners will be eligible to receive a stipend. $25 for every cat and $50 for every dog adopted over the course of the three-day event. You do have to be a network partner and you will have to fill out a quick and easy registration form. We've got a link to the form in the show notes and on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click on the link for episode 124. Now, Best Friends commits resources to these events in several ways. We create marketing collateral for the event that you can easily customize for your organization, which makes it super easy for you to promote this event. And we also do paid local advertising campaigns. And if your network partner organization signs up prior to September 2nd, you will be included in that advertising. Truly, not a lot of reasons to not do this. I mean, you'll already be doing adoptions that weekend, and we all need the help. And this doesn't cost you anything, and you'll get that stipend for those adoptions. It's free money and advertising to help get the word out about adoption in your community. On to this week's episode. Our guest is someone from outside of animal welfare, the founder of Unmarketing, and he was a keynote at this year's Best Friends National Conference, Scott Stratton. After he delivered that keynote, he very graciously sat down with me to talk some more about things like marketing and customer service, social media, and working with the public to achieve your mission of saving lives. I love the opportunity to talk to folks outside of animal welfare like Scott, because it's always interesting to hear the perspectives of experts who are not in this industry day to day. But Scott isn't a stranger to animal welfare. He himself, an adopter, a volunteer, a donor. He does engage with our work, but he's able to look at our industry in a different way because he's not doing it every day. He's a prolific author and speaker, and he's become known around the world for his perspectives on marketing and leadership in the digital age. And although he made it very clear that he doesn't care about selling things, we've got links in the show notes to his website where you can learn more about him and find links to buy his books and all that good stuff because they're great. But we've also got information on how to contact Scott because as you will hear, he's a very generous guy and he offered to help anyone in the animal welfare industry who needs it for free. Again, check out the show notes and your podcast app of choice. So maybe for folks that are listening that are not as familiar with you, Scott, yeah. uh, Unmarketing, yeah. would you say, is the kind of base brand? and the company, and, yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, maybe just describe, you know, what is Unmarketing? What is that all about? For sure. So um, Unmarketing, and that goes with unselling and everything else, too. It's, it's kind of the contrarian thought to things, which is... Most marketing that affects people is the unplanned. And what I mean by that is, is like, I, I understand I was in the industry of advertising and, and direct mail and like oh, every classical marketing where you go. And, and it not only is it viable, it's still incredibly viable. And there's, there's no marketing that's dead to me. Um, uh, contrary to what some people say, they think, you know, radio's dead or I think they're all billboards are great still. I think they're all great. It's the, we don't talk to each other in campaigns. 
So when I have an experience at like for Brent, like say a Waffle House, you know, I said on stage how much I love Waffle House and I, and I mean that I don't share Waffle House's branding. I don't share their website. I don't know if Waffle House has one. I assume they do, but I've never needed to go to it. I share my experience, my stories. And who are the authors of that experience? It's the person working at the counter. It's the, it's the guy working the, 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 uh, the waffle line. It's those that they are the one making that experience. And if they mess that up or they make it even better, that's the brand. And it doesn't matter what Waffle House corporate says to somebody. They set the str- strategic big picture stuff, and which is great and very necessary. It's the day-to-day stuff that makes it. That's on marketing to me. It's the front line. I always said if you want to improve the bottom line, focus on the front line. They are the ones that have all the answers you need, but you're not asking the questions. And they have the ability to make or break that business. And that goes to the same thing with unbranding, same idea, unselling, which unselling, the concept is that people think the sale is over when they made the sale. When the contract's signed, if you're B2B, right, you get the PO, you sign it, you're good to go. I insist, and Allison insists, that that begins the sale for the next one. And the next one and the next one. And so many businesses work off word of mouth. I haven't found one that doesn't, you know, unless you're an STD clinic or something like that where people don't want to, you know, refer people or tell people they went to it, a bankruptcy lawyer that's, or something like that. Quite a pull there yeah. for an analogy, but. You, but, but, but would, <laughs> taken, you, would, taken. You, would you, would you give a Yelp review for your recent clinic visit? Probably not. So it's this, every industry talks about word of mouth and clients and referrals, but yet all their focus and a lot of their spending is through other channels versus saying what going to somebody and saying you signed a million dollar contract with somebody for that year or whatever that is. Well, the time to convince them to renew is when it starts, not the last month or your final quarter or whatever that's going to be. It's that whole lifespan of that contract, that year is selling the next year, which is in theory really selling the next 10 years. And that's what we look at when it comes to even like today was on leadership, which was it's not about necessarily all the boardroom things you're doing. It's, do I trust you? Do I believe you? Do you believe in me? And not in a hokey way, not in like a cheesy way. I mean, truly, you Mm -hmm. know who has your back. You know, I think as humans, we kind of can sniff out a lot of things of people. Are they they genuine? Are they sincere? Are they authentic? And and I, that's what the un is. That's really just saying outside of the academic side of it or the the, the practice and policies and procedures of life and business, how do, you, how do people feel when they do business with you? Or how do the people feel when they meet you? Because we're all – businesses don't exist. It's humans that create these businesses. And whether or not do I, do I like the human, do I need to? And there's some businesses out there you don't, you don't have I don't need to – I don't need to tweet my toilet paper company. I don't need to. You might. I might. But you don't want to because that means something went horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Which is maybe why it would tweet them. But you know what I mean? Like there's sometimes relationships get overplayed. Mm-hmm. And especially in my world, we talk about social media and, and virtual relationships. We're always, always about relationships. And I totally am. And as are all of our books. But there's a point, you know, it's like, especially in a, a lot of in the commodity based business, it's about like if I go to buy some Doritos. You know, it's, I'm, I don't have a relationship with the guy who sold the Doritos to the chain, to the store, to the person, but that Doritos is now in the hands of that store and the people there. And, and the fact that if I find out somebody who is a, a VP at, at Frito-Lay or whoever the company that owns it does something that goes against my morals, I will think twice about those Doritos because there's always other options. So there is always a play in any kind of product or service. And 
in a long-winded way, that's what unmarketing is. <laughs> and there's so many things in there that are, are, are so incredibly relevant to what we do. I don't know how much you know about the world of animal welfare, mm-hmm. of sheltering, of how these organizations interact with the public, but you know, a lot of it is a sale, right? Yes. We've got a product, and, and right now our product is adoptable pets, and you might want a pet, so yeah. how can we grab you and put right. that pet in your home? But you know, I think a lot of organizations get lose sight of what you were just saying of there's this longer term relationship. Yeah. You know, we do adoption. Uh, we waive adoption fees where yes. we say, come in. It's, it's just a great marketing tool. But you have a lot of groups that say, well, that revenue, I need to make that revenue up to survive. Yeah. Well, guess what? That adopter becomes your donor who is going to go on to become your major donor. And then maybe he's going to give you a bequest. And so, you know, what is that $50 to you ultimately? Is it really that important today? So seeing that kind of bigger picture, I think right. is, is just not, it's not easy. It's not no, a natural thing. I think it's not. And I, that's actually how we ended up being donors to our humane society. <laughs> the same idea was a, just something happened. That was a, an event. And you, and you just realize how we can make this difference. And it was like the way they worded it. And it, one of the ways it was, they word it was like how um, really good UNICEF does it. When I, I thought UNICEF was brilliant in how they did some of their donation things, which is you're not donating fifty dollars, you're donating fifty packets of formula, right? And that you're not that fifty doesn't get earmarked to buy fifty packs of formula. It's just showing that thing. And then when our humane society did that, I said you know if you give us fifty bucks a month, that you know that that it'll take this cage here. And then we sponsored a. a so then we started going up. We started we sponsored a cage. Our daughter is Tessa's you know uh, cat cage and the cats would come in there and we get a photo of them and stuff. And it was just realizing the key with anything, and this is any nonprofit, especially in, in, in the animal world is, is just that, that showing what their donation does is such a huge deal that people want to feel good. And some people, you know, there's different reasons people give and donate and, and anything, but some of they want to feel good. They want to look good sometimes. And I just think getting them involved like that versus making the process sometimes arduous and sometimes just overbearing. And it's a balance to do that. But you're exactly right. That waived adoption fee, because it's short-sighted, right? The forest from the trees. We're not, we're just, we're not, we're not seeing the $50 here. Sorry, we are seeing 50, not the 500, not the, or the fact that when people are happy with our, our nonprofit or charity and anywhere in that world, not just in, in the animal side of things, that if what I do is good and what I do is it creates good, then I will then refer other people. Do you know people I've told be- about best friends too? And I had never heard of it before. And then Allison found out and went. And, and now I am just like, like it's disturbing how much I love best friends. Like I will sing the praises to anybody and everybody I can. And I've never been to the, to, to the rescue. I've never been to Utah um, and I will, I will be going there. But it's like I am now a cheerleader for it. But that was through Allison, which was through our daughter, which through her was one of her friends. Like, you know, where was that dropping the $50 adoption fee there? Like, that was probably in that storyline that if that's going to be the big stopping was we can't lose that revenue. And also, by the way, fair, understood that that is what you need. You do need that. Nobody's nobody's in this industry raking in the money and just just saying, oh, yeah, I just, you know, you're not in this world to make you know, to get rich. You're in this for the for the love and for the animals. And I just think that sometimes we have to find a way around that, like that, because it's the most successful thing. I've seen it across the board. Any place that does that, it, it, even if it's 50 bucks, you're like, oh my goodness, I can save money. I can do this. And there are, you know, there's different angles to do it. You can have a sponsor, be able to take care of that type of things. You can do that as long as you have good follow-up too, because sometimes a problem too is the 
you know, you, you wave it, they get it, and then you, there's not a lot of communications later on, realizing that they might want to do something and they didn't know they could do something. As an example, like, and I know it's a bad company sometimes, but but Amazon made it real easy for me to support the Coastal Pet Rescue, which is in Savannah that I mentioned on stage. And like, I had met Lisa over a decade ago at an event, and then we stayed in touch, and it was so simple. Whenever she put on Instagram, we need some stuff from our wish list, I would just click over immediately on Amazon, click, click, and the next day it's delivered to Savannah. And I'm like, make the path of least resistance lead to your program. And even and that even comes to adoptions too, which is I know it's a sticky point, um, but there's got to be a middle ground, right? Like I said on stage, you don't have no idea what it's like to work for you. We also have no idea what it's like to ad adopt an animal through you, right? Because you're the one doing, you're the one running the show. And I think that's self-awareness and saying, should we ha do we have to ask all these questions? Like I I've heard, I've heard of places asking, are you planning on, you know, having a baby and and I know and I know actually why they asked you know with a baby and an animal and I, I get that but mm -hmm. hell no like yeah. you don't get to do that you know it's like you're asking somebody their age or their weight just hey now let's yeah. just simmer down for a second and that's uh, another kind of big point in in what we do in that relationship management part yeah, yeah. that you know not every person we interact with maybe will go on to be a donor of any size and that's mm -hmm. okay, but they're going to be a pet owner and they're going to be a pet owner that has needs. Life yeah. changes, babies. Yeah. We lose a job. I may need pet food. I may need advice. I mean, a lot of people in this country don't know some real basic pet stuff yeah. and you go on, you Google it and who do I trust? Who do I know? Yeah. Well, let me go to the organization that, uh, that I adopted from. Right. But if you say no, that person's gone somewhere else. They're still going to acquire a pet. They go to Craigslist. They'll go somewhere else. Exactly, a breed or whatever. Yeah. And, that, and then ultimately, you know, when those things happen in their lives, right? They don't have anyone to turn to at that point. So more often than not, that animal is going to end up in a shelter. So it's like this weird thing where we're not really connecting these dots. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's stepping back and looking at the picture though, right? You're realizing this affects this, which affects this. Not easy to do. Not ever easy to do because you're in the weeds a lot of times, right? You're running the show and this isn't like you're running the show. Like I know a lot of the people at this event too. It's a, you're just running a small shelter. Like this is, this is, it's you and a handful of people. And just the day to day is overwhelming all the time. Like I, I feel, I just have this deep feeling with this, with this industry of just, I want to be able to say you should do this and this, but also I don't because it's already overwhelming. It's already so much. And I just, I feel for it because I can sit here and say, you should do this. I should, you, should, you, have, you should have a drip campaign for emails for anybody who adopts. And it should be based on a 14 day or 30 day interval. And you do all the marketing stuff you want to do. But you're like, they're like, okay, so how? Who's going to do that? Right, thank you. <laughs> Who's going to, I'm knee deep literally in crab and 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 oh, i'm just gonna you want me to go to just go to mailchimp or constant contact and set it up and then oh you gotta write it and you gotta do this stuff and you're like okay yeah i get it and this which is one of the also one of the reasons i adore best friends of of, of just the support system that that these rescues and shelters can have um because otherwise it's exactly that you're alone you feel alone and which is again one of the also important things stressing for events like this conference is that connectivity and then continuing it after the event because it's such an isolating thing, all the time. especially if you lead. Leading is isolating. Leading is lonely because everybody's looking at you for an answer or avoiding you, you know, if they don't like you or you're not a great <laughs> leader to them. And I think it's a very isolating world. And, and it doesn't have to be. Though. It, and 100% it does not have to be. And that's why 
people meeting, uh, uh, to get togethers and, and conferences is so crucial. Otherwise, you, you think you're just losing your mind. Yeah. That's what, that's actually why I joined Twitter in 08 was I was an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm building my, another business and doing this stuff. And I'm, I can't turn to my assistant and ask, am I nuts? You know, because she, <laughs> she already knew I was, but it's like, I needed the water cooler. You know, I needed that place where everybody kind of just gathered. And that's what Twitter was for me in 08 and 09 and 2010 was other entrepreneurs. And I, I went there looking for other kind of entrepreneurs like me. And I left finding the funniest, most caring, smartest people I've ever met, including Allison, including my wife. And I, I had the best social media ROI in history, you know, because somehow I am now married to her, which is ridiculous. Same, same. Right? Best Friends Conference 2010. I was actually doing social media for Best Friends at that time. Yeah. And my wife, uh, who is a municipal employee, but she was on the board of a local TNR rescue in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. And uh, she came to my session and she was doing social media herself uh, for the public library. And she said, she'll tell you, uh, th listen, <laughs> if she were here, this story might be a little bit different, Scott, but since she's not, so what <laughs> she said, you know, I sat in the audience and I just kept hearing this guy say stuff and I'm thinking, that's not true. That's not right. So anyway, she messaged me and we had a drink and that was it. I moved to Michigan. So <laughs> Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, Here we exactly. are. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Those were the glory days. Weren't right. they on social media? Well, now? But Twitter for me is Formula One, Leeds United, and doom scrolling politics. Um, that's exactly <laughs> sports and doom scrolling for me as well. And it was, and like anything, right? You get to a certain point where you're, you know, an early adopter into the stuff. And it, and it felt like cheers. You know, you show up mm -hmm. and everybody yell norm. And you're like, you just, I could go on a Twitter and say, just tweet, how's everybody doing? And I get 150 replies and I just hang out with people. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was like, it was those golden years of that type of stuff, but it's just different now. And, and also I just, I'm not putting the time, you know, I lived on Twitter in 08, 09, 2010 and, and, uh, and like things do change and they do shift. And once the celebrities kind of showed up, it started shifting as well. And I meant that when Justin Bieber showed up, it screwed up everything because it wasn't, wasn't celebrity driven then, right? It was, it was mm -hmm. people who were on Twitter who wanted to be on Twitter. And, and I, I love that because I love community and it was a really, it really felt like community and I'm still in touch with people and again, including my wife that you, you, you realize that community doesn't have to be just physical community can be virtual. If you have the same kind of common goals or, or caring or thoughts and yeah, I, uh, I ROI and uh, has been pretty decent. Yeah. You kind of touched on it, but I do want to focus on what you said about uh, if you want to increase the bottom line, improve the relationship with the front line. Yeah. I, I'm very proud to work for Best Friends. Yeah. We don't always get it right. But I will say that under Julie's leadership, she's put such a strong focus on the people. Yeah. You know, understanding that if we're good internally, we're going to destroy all this stuff. Everything. Right here. That's everything. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so things like raising pay you know, for our, for our frontline workers, yeah. our animal caregivers to 18, $19 an hour, you know, which is just pretty unheard of, yeah. you know, but also I think she does get out there. She'll go and scoop cat shit. It takes you know? both. Yeah. It takes both and, though. But right? how many yeah. leaders don't do that? Most, but most, right. Why? But people right now, one of the things you hear right now is a lot of, like, uh, people don't want to work or they don't want to do this. And, and I'm like, well, no, they just don't want to work for you. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah. And I, I just, because there are two equations, because there's a school people saying, well, pay isn't the issue. And then there's a school people that pay is the only issue. And I think it's both. I think that pay is an issue to a certain point. And, and, and look, if you, if you don't have enough to survive, then, then yeah, pay is a freaking issue, right? If you, if, I, if I'm below the poverty line working for you, what are you like? 
I think was was a line. I think it was Chris Rock had the line, which was minimum wage. It's like what we're trying to tell you is if legally we could pay you less, we would, <laughs> right? Like that's what the message is. And, and I'm being paid fairly for the job you do, and then being not just appreciated but involved. Like and that you have the leaders involved, and it's it's almost like a a, a team in sports. And we talking before on this, you know, loving sports and going to places. It's like that coach where. If you've done it before and I, you have a, you have the, not only the resume, but also the ear of everybody. It's different to play for somebody who gets you. And it doesn't mean that somebody can't coach who's never played professionally, but if you don't understand the sport, if you haven't done it. So if I'm in animal rescue and an executive comes in from another industry or, or vertical somewhere else, and they're just trying to push their rules. When it happened where I, I used to work at Goodwill Toronto was when I graduated HR, that's where I started working at their head office. And what, killed it for me was when we brought in a VP of retail from the private sector and he just brought all the private sector stuff and we were doing it this way. And I'm like, dude, nobody's here for the money where nobody gets paid. Well, we're here because it gets good to jobs to futures. I still remember the tagline. That's why I worked there. That's why I took the job. And he came in, wanted to make it this private way of doing it. And within eight months I was at the door and a lot of other people were too. It's like nonprofit as in like here with animal rescue, nobody's in it for the money. We're in it for the for the heart, and when that heart is squeezed and crushed, you question yourself. I can't tell you how many people came up to me on the trade show floor here and said to me, "I was losing my faith in this, the industry doing this, and that I could give them a little, just a little nugget of something to help just get them over a little hump or something like that." Is the world to me because this is a thankless industry. Not not not. I don't mean like people. The people in the industry, you know, can be great for each other, but you're just dealing with so much terribleness when it comes to whether it's a, a municipal thing or the public or somebody who just could, you denied somebody an adoption and now they're out to get you like so many of these things happen and all you want to do is make the animals feel loved and cared for and that not being taken advantage of and everything else gets in the way and it's people and we're responsible for that i really don't think we can change things until we realize we are the problem including me like I'm a recovering narcissist. Like I really wanted to start Narcissist Anonymous, but the the contradictions in the title. But you know what I mean? Like it's 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 the self awareness realizing, oh, okay, I I'm not seen in the way I see myself, right? And so how do people see? How do I affect people? What is, and I realize you start realizing in the moment how we deal with people and affect them, and leaders exponentially affect people. And I said this. This is my favorite line because it means so much to me. You have no idea what it's like to work for you. And leaders need to think about that for a moment. Just pause for a moment and realize you don't know a lot of things. And I know a lot of people, including myself, we just overcompensate to pretend we know. Like, like look at me. I'm standing in front of a thousand or two people just telling them what I think. Like, what the? Cracking <laughs> jokes about, you know, ear hair or whatever. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> right? Just, I'm just getting up there and just like, what's, how's your father? You know, just do my thing. And everybody's like standing over. And they're like, that was the greatest thing I ever said. And I'm just like, I'm just making this up here. And it. But the reason is, is because it, it resonates. Yeah. Everything in life is, if you realize, if you boil everything down to marketing, business, relationships, it's about resonating. It's about, I feel you. And you feel me. And when you know that, right, it's just, the world's just different. And that's what we have to focus on in, in animal rescue, in, in business, and in relationships, resonating with each other, just doing that. Marketing campaigns at work resonate. Things that go viral, it's because they resonate, you know, in negative or positive, but they, it's, it's, it 
it somebody feels it. It's just not bland. It's not commercial, it's resonation. And that's everything in marketing, branding, sales, relationships, and leadership. Some of these are difficult topics because I have never worked in a shelter. I mean, I consider that I've lived this very privileged you know, yeah. welfare life. Yeah. I worked for Best Friends for 15 years. I was yeah. a volunteer with the organization prior to that. Right. I've never had to make life and death decisions every right. day. Right. I've never had the public calling me a murderer, yeah. sending things to my house. Protesting. Yes. I mean, yeah. just... Brutal. Trying to get me fired. Brutal. Like, maybe people have tried to get me fired. Probably. Yeah. So, I would guess, actually. So far, unsuccessfully. Yes. Winner. Winner right here. Good try. <laughs> um, but so the public, but of course, then the public is who we need yeah. to be successful. And I, I, you know, I think whether it's a restaurant or, you know, there's yeah. this experience, you know, we can be passionate about food and we can say, we just had this bad meal and I want to go and yell mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what we're, we're talking about are living breathing beings yeah. creatures that yeah. for a lot of us we got into this because people had wronged us yeah you know and the animals were always there for us they never judged us no. right so you know i just don't I, it just doesn't manifest itself the way we relate to the public in the healthiest way yeah. and i don't know you know with your experience if it's something that you've Worked with companies maybe that have yeah. that kind of connection oh, yeah. with the public. I think the problem is, is people, but the problem is too that it's usually a minority of people, and the, but they are overwhelming. They take over everything. It can be one person. It just harasses you. You can't do anything. It, it can be it can be paralyzing to people. It can be frightening to people. Like it's not frightening to me. I, just, I skate through life because of how I was born and what I was lucky to be and have. And also, I'm not doing the controversial things. I'm not having because people somehow somehow take stands on certain things. Well, that's another damn business about it. That if, if I really, if you're just doing something good for people, for animals, for anything else, then the only thing I should question is: Am I doing enough to help you and your organization? But you can't control people, just like you can't control animals, and. It's looking at sometimes that self-awareness as leaders, we can do it in, I'm trying to word this right, because I've never seen such vitriol that I have in this industry from the public. And it, it, it really is a contradiction in my brain. And it really makes me angry. But stepping back from that, and I'm not talking about the, the bad people, the ones who are just going after you and they're just not good people. There's a group of people, though, that get lumped in with them that are actually people that have genuine concerns. And... When people post something online, what they're looking for first and foremost is to be heard because up to that point, they feel they have not. Otherwise, they wouldn't have written what they wrote and sometimes reaching out and saying, hey, can we talk about this or what can we do for it can change things that there's a thing called the service recovery paradox that psychologists talk about. And that's where if somebody is is, something screws up. So it's used a lot of times in a just straight business context. So I'm in a restaurant and I don't like my meal and I send it back. If you fix it at or above my expectations, I will love your business more than before the problem ever happened. That means that, look, if you listen to me if you, or if you hear me, that I can actually become an advocate for you. And there's a lot of people in that middle group. I think that if you just talk, if we can talk to them, 
But again, what what time do you have? Because everybody's so busy and overwhelmed by stuff. And also, you don't want to talk. You don't want to give anybody time who's coming after you. But there's a group there that have concerns that if we can talk about them, you can hear them and have a discussion because they are your community. Then I think some stuff can come out of it. How do I identify who is? It's honestly, it's really looking at what they're saying. Because if they're attacking me, pass. I'm out. Thank you for playing. You get no cash and prizes. There's the exit. You don't get to treat me that way. I'm a human being. Again, easy for me to say. Nobody's after me. Nobody's gunning for me. But it's the fact that if you get personal, you're out. If it's about, the, if you are just so passionate about the animals or you didn't get an adoption or something happened or whatever it is, if they're focusing on the issue, I will talk about the issue. As soon as it comes a personal attack, I'm out. I'm out. And then people are like, well, it's in public or it's on a Google review or a Facebook page. Then people will see it. When they get personal attack, people will notice that. The good people will see it and just don't sink to their level, Right. You know, just don't, don't wrestle with a pig in, in, in mud because they'll win and they also love it. You know, that whole that <laughs> phrase. And that's where it is. But you decide that. Your gut usually tells you that. But you know when somebody's a troll versus somebody who has a legit issue. And, and if we just close off listening to anybody who is not perfectly happy with us, we don't get any self-awareness, right? Because sometimes, sometimes, I'm not saying a lot of times, especially in this industry, but sometimes it is, it is us. We did something. And we feel bad about it or ashamed about it or guilty about it. Or we just want it to go away. And it's hard because you're dealing with emotions. There's no more emotional industry, I think, than this one. It's so emotional because it's it's based on animals. And they bring up a lot of emotions. For it takes a lot of vulnerability, though, I think, yeah. as well. I mean, even to open the door as a shelter director. Yes. You know, if, if you're uh, somebody in the sheltering world that has been labeled a murderer in the paper. You yeah. Know, you've had something sent to your house. I mean – the idea of opening the door is, I mean, it's how hard, I mean, insanely yeah, difficult. No, yeah, of course not. And that, that's where when, and again, like anybody who gets involved in anything like that, I couldn't even fathom. So I, I I'm not even going to start to pretend to know what that's like. And anybody who's dealt with that, I am, I am sorry. You've gone through that. That is, that is, you do not deserve that. And that is unacceptable in my brain to people doing that. But there's a way to then have community, have your back. And one of the biggest things about building a community, and I mean people locally that are not, not, not just people who adopt, but anybody, people volunteer, people just want to support it. Maybe there's a, there's a golf tournament, like just getting all those people's information, making sure, because the tenets of unmarketing, how the first thing I ever taught with unmarketing was to pull and stay instead of push and pray, which is pull people's info. So you can reach out when you need to about stuff, community, instead of just pushing out flyers and praying they, they work so when that does hit the fan when somebody is calling you a murderer and they're writing the letter to the editor it's always a freaking letter to the editor for something that you can go back out to your community and saying hey we're being threatened right now and it's really scary and we'd love your support that doesn't i don't mean doxing somebody i don't mean going after somebody i mean online keeping an eye out because sometimes you can't say certain things that i can say whether it's on stage or online or something, but you you might not have free reign to, you need a filter, and I think everybody does for everything, but your community can do stuff for you. You have to build the community. You have to foster the community. You have to talk to the community. And again, here's Scott giving you another thing to do <laughs> on top of stuff, but I don't mean it that way. I don't mean you have to be 40 hours a week doing this. I mean four minutes a week. 
check into the community Facebook page, not for you, but like the community itself, or checking here and seeing, okay, let me scan it. Or you have somebody as a volunteer or find somebody who loves social or digital and they want to volunteer. That's a, that's a, a valuable volunteer position. You know how many people in, in school or in college or even high school could do that for you? That all you put something out saying, you love animals? Do you know digital pretty well? Let's talk. They could do that. They could help out. It's amazing what people can do if you let them and, and, and bring them aboard. Teach them your value. Show them what's important. Show them what to, what, what to watch out for. And then just have them go out there and listen and see things and build community. You can because I've seen it done. I think you heard Chip this morning. Yes. Love Chip. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just solid. Um, I yeah. know, just like seven to ten people they had on their staff assigned for euthanasia. Yeah, because they had to do that many. Yeah, and the only way to sort of make it work was to spread it out yeah, over that many people. Of course. Right? Um, uh, somebody else I talked to this week. They're in a community that they've. T- they told me it's like the craziest thing. Eighty percent of their staff is on some sort of medication, anti-anxiety, oh, anti- yeah. right? Because of what they have to go through. But they're so dedicated that they will do it, of course, um, and not complain about it. Also, which yeah. I find to be amazing. But I think those experiences, again, for for me, someone who hasn't worked in a shelter, yeah, like hearing that. How can you not have compassion for that and right. say, okay, well, how can we make it so you don't have to take Zoloft or whatever? Like, right. let's figure this out. Uh, and I think a lot of people, if they just went into a shelter, if the shelter said, hey, come in, come in on Tuesday afternoon, you free? Yeah. I'd love to just give you a tour, but also let you do some like job shadowing and see what it's like to work at the front desk and see what it's like to work over here. And that, and maybe that person might say, you know what? This is really overwhelming. This yeah. is crazy. You lot. guys are not bad people. No, you're overwhelmed people. You need yeah. help. You yeah. know, and again, are you going to turn everybody with that? No, no not at all. But you don't need everybody. But again, I mean, that's vulnerability. That's opening the door and letting people see what's behind that curtain. And you can't get everybody and no, nor can you ever. And that's where I think a lot of even companies in the private sector fail. They try to be everything to everyone. And you have people in your community that not only could be a great uh, uh, asset to, to the organization, but also some people who you can be the introduction to the entire world and industry to them. Everybody goes, or not everybody, but when you do, you go for your first time sometime. Like I I was very fortunate that we pretty much took rescues from when I was a kid. So I knew about how it worked in the system and I knew where the humane society was in our town. I still know where it is. And, and I know I knew about it. And I, then I eventually got to know everybody in in, in the organization. And it was like, you can be the catalyst one you can be one adult, whether they're 70 or 17, that can come in. You can have schools and they're dying for places to go in the community to have field trips and do, or co-ops or internships. And people are like, well, we don't have any. Like, we just have people that are doing this. And it's like, you could have a marketing intern come up and he's like, we have no marketing department. Um, what would you do? You're hip with the kids. And just by saying hip with the kids, you know, you're not cool. <laughs> but I'm like, you, you know, so what would you do? And have a co-op student run with it. Even in concept, it doesn't have to be rolled out because it can be scary. Somebody else is on speaking on behalf of your brand. But there's, if you find these, I always like to try to find these deficits in different places. Can you match them? So if you're lacking, uh, uh, let's say volunteers or workers or, or advocates, there's a deficit there. And over here, there's a deficit of positions for, for people who are in co-ops or internships, always looking for places to go and, and, and place the people. And you can pair that together. That's incredible. There's a lot of things. That's what community is. Community is a verb. It's the action we take there. And it's not about going to the 
the Catsino Royale, which we did go to in, in, in my town, which is the, you know, the gala fundraiser, because it feels good. We got the unmarketing table. There's eight of us at the table. You're bidding on the Toronto Blue Jays art auction and this and this. But it's also, come on. Like there's a, there's like, come on. It's, it's a gala. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not cleaning up manure. Right. Where I, I, I wore my suit. I actually have one. You know, I wore a suit and Allison wore her a, a gown and it was wonderful, which is great. And it does, it serves a purpose, but that can't be it. I, it, it's really, I would gone back to the donors and said, Hey, by the way, can I ask, have you been to the shelter in the, uh, we'd love to have you come hang out or see it once you get in, like, that's the big part, right? Like you had, that's your biggest asset. It's getting them in to see the animals, to, to talk to the people and, and also see the strain like you're talking about. They're good people who've just been beaten down daily sometimes with stuff and, so I love the people in this industry. I just, I do too. And this podcast for, for me is a way to kind of connect these yeah. things. And I get to talk to all these incredible people across the country doing incredible things. Right. And, uh, you know, hopefully along the way they can learn something from this, from each other. And so I just try to right. give people that platform to do that. And it's, uh, I mean, if not for the people, what I wouldn't be doing this. You know right. what I mean? I'd yeah, be, yeah, like, yeah. I love yeah. the animals. Yeah. I'd just be John Dunn and, and my wife, Colleen, and we just have a lot of cats like we do now. <laughs> um, but now, but because of the people, I mean, it really is yeah. everything. So, listen, man, I uh, I actually have to go because tomorrow I'm doing a, a little bit on the general session on the big stage again, and I'm, I need practice. So. Good luck. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, thanks. I, I always think if I screw up, they won't ask me to do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there's not really any downside. If, if I if I know kill it, like, everybody, you know, it'll be great. Uh, so, so, but I know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have things to promote, and I want to make sure people are familiar with that. I mean, you have books, several. I mean, you have a podcast. I'm not sure if yeah, that's... Yeah, we haven't uh, done it in a couple of years now, um, but I, I don't... It's my world on marketing. That's the website. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I don't have anything to promote to you, though. It's like you just, if, you, if, if you're in this industry, though, and you need help or you have a question about any of the stuff that I talk about or do, please reach out. I'm happy to help. I, no charge. I just, I would, I'm happy to, to be a sounding board for ideas or you have questions about any of the disciplines that I talk about. I'm more than happy to help. Uh, on marketing on Twitter, on marketing on Instagram, um, Scott Stratton on LinkedIn, or on marketing.com, there's a contact form. You send it to me, I will get it. And I will reply to you. Awesome. Yeah. Scott, thank you. Hey, no, the pleasure is all mine, truly. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>